eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check... We got some breaking news out of Golden State, baby. And our dubs, our dubs, have received a blow. It's not good. Steph Curry with a labrum injury to his shoulder. I get into some soccer and the NBA as well. You'll have to listen because it's kind of hard to describe. I talk about Russell Westbrook's resurrection and how pretty much everyone is avoiding talking about it because it doesn't fit the narrative that they thought about him. Uh, we go into the Charlotte Hornets and head coach Steve Clifford blowing the team pretty much up, throwing them under the bus because, I don't know, they stink at defense. And then we remember one of the old school OGs, Hall of Fame player, coach Paul Silas. Rest in peace. Whole lot to cover, Nick. So drop that beat. Before we start the podcast, just a quick alert. An FYI, a PSA, if you will. My dentist says I'm not wearing my Invisalign enough. Tisk tisk. <laughs> so I'm going to wear it on the episode because when I take it off, I forget to put it back in. Then my teeth move. So if I say anything out of pocket or if I sound like I've got a lisp like a 14-year-old boy, forgive me. So let's move forward. Things are going from bad to worse in Golden State. Our dubs just keep taking blow after blow. Hate to see that. I'm not talking about their horrible road record either. They are 2-13 currently on the road this year. Second worst in the NBA, actually, if you can believe it. Never fear. Our dubs, they will come. Road defensive efficiency, a shocking 118.8. That is bottom three in the league as well. These dubs, our dubs, can't seem to win outside of the Chase Center. And now, another blow. Steph Curry, the man who has been pulling this team together on his back. MVP campaign level numbers. Out, at least, at least is the critical component, three weeks. According to the, this is the bomb, this is the sound of the Woj bomb. Golden State Steph Curry is expected to miss a few weeks with his left shoulder injury. Sources tell, that was one of those Invisalign moments, sources tell ESPN. 
Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's just say he is out three weeks. That's the number. That would put him on target for a Thursday night TNT game against the Phoenix Suns on January 10th. Between now and the earliest expected time, let's go through their next 10 games, shall we? The Warriors start with at Philadelphia, at Toronto, at New York, at Brooklyn, Memphis, Charlotte, Utah, Portland, Atlanta, and Detroit. Boy, that is a tough slog without your primary score. And with Jordan Poole in a slump and Andrew Wiggins facing his own set of injuries, oh boy. That team could be 3-7 and seven in its next 10. And that would not be a surprise. 3-7. and seven. That is a tough spot. Golden State, 14-15 of 15 right now at the moment. Could be looking at a 2-8 and eight stretch without Steph. That will put them squarely at 16-23, and 23, which would be at that particular moment on life support. I'm not saying that's forever, but that is at least three weeks. There could be more issues coming. Labrum issues, if he needs to get surgery, for example, on a torn labrum, that would be bad. That would be one of those Steph breaks his hand, uh, put yourself in a suitcase and go home kind of moment. It's hard out here for us Dubs fans. Just when we think we're back, just when we think the dominance continues and the dynasty just persists, sometimes it just happens like that. But we will persevere, will we not? Remember, the only time we gold-blooded are out is when we're out. And when there is a cold, dead body. Last time I checked, the dubs are still alive and kicking. Check back in in April. But if Steph is out any longer, even I, lifelong dubs fan, will start to feel a little weary. People were slandering Russell Westbrook, weren't they? They were saying some mean things. They were saying he was going to be waived. They were saying he was never going to play basketball ever again. They were saying... So many jokes, angry comments, slander, libel. People said he would never come off the bench. Everyone said, oh, if he does come off the bench, he's not going to be happy. He's going to fake an injury. Everyone said, oh, yeah, if he continues to be off the be- come, c- comes off the bench and he's happy, he'll suck. Fair, fair warning. Uh, what do they say? Like uh, just for full disclosure, that was me as well. I said that as well. Those comments, those p- predictions, they were wrong, wrong, and wrong. And I think that needs to be discussed. The media, NBA fans, we have a narrative. And no matter what happens, we stick to that narrative, right? We have struck out on Russ. And honestly, like, I liked peak Russ. I did. I'm stoked that Russ is having this reemergence. I am. As, he, as someone who gets considered to be a hater, I, I like this version of Russ. And it made me think, why do we treat Russ like he's been posting things that are anti-Semitic on the Internet? Why do we treat Russ like he coughed on a microphone, gave the entire NBA COVID, and then started liking tweets from Elon Musk about prosecuting Fauci being his like name designation Russ has done nothing but ball 
Even when he stunk, all he did was ball. He's coming off the bench for 23 games now, averaging 28, 15, 6, and 8. 28 minutes, 15 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists, with 1.5 steals and blocks per game. That is ridiculous. He had a 7-game stretch where he shot 50% or better from 3. From 3, people. He was a brick layer, and all of a sudden he's Steph Curry when he comes off the bench. He's come back to earth, of course, because he's not really a great three-point shooter. 31%, but he's shooting better than Trey Young. How about that? Way ahead of where he was as a starter. And guess what? The best thing is he's happy. He's smiling. He's living in his hometown. His family is in his hometown. His friends are there. And that coincides, folks, with the Lakers actually being 500 with the real shot to make the play-in tournament. And who saw that coming? Who? Did you see it coming? Because I didn't see that coming. And now Sam Amick is saying, but because of this very good play off the bench, he's the leader in the clubhouse, plus 190 to win sixth man of the year. Wait, excuse me. The John Havlicek Award. Which, quickly, they already gave the MVP with Michael Jordan's face and body on it to to uh, Jokic today? They made it, created it, shoved it down our throats, and then gave it to him. Amazing. Darvin Ham, of course, deserves credit for this Russell Westbrook adjustment. But what's interesting is the Amex article sort of says that insiders believe that Russ is, is going to improve from here moving forward. And we all love a redemption story, unless it's somebody that we already hated. That, let's face facts. That's what it is, right? Like, you can't redeem yourself if we've always hated you. And that's what's happening to Russ right now. I don't understand it because I was never a Russ hater. And then I was like, yeah, he stinks right now. He's making $47 million a year. But, like, we treat him like villain. We treat him like one of the worst humans on earth. We won't give Russ any credit. Have you seen NBA Today or First Take or NBA Radio be like, hey, by the way, Russ is on an absolute heater right now responsible for the Lakers winning? No. No, because why? We're treating him like he went 155 miles per hour in a 30 in a school zone on Molly. That's how we treat him. All he was doing was playing hoops and wasn't and, and making bricking a lot of shots hitting the side of the backboard. That's all he's been doing. Damn. It's like the narratives, once once those narratives are over, we just pretend that they never existed. And then we wait in the shadows. And we hide in the weeds until Russ starts playing bad again. And then we're like, yup, we said it. Russ stinks. You see it? Four games in a row. 0 for 17. 15 turnovers. Like, yo, 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 yo. 25 games now Russ has been balling. You wait to talk about Russ for those five games? Media's fucked up, man. The media is fucked up. I am happy for Russ. He went from one of the biggest names, MVP in the NBA, on a team that was sixth in the West. First time ever that he wins the MVP. He's getting triple-double after triple-double. Just every damn night he's getting one. And people are saying he's unemployable. Unemployable? We've got people out here that you don't even know their name with jobs in the NBA. We got Drew Eubanks out here getting minutes. No shade of Drew Eubanks, 10-day God. But, like, are you serious? And now he's the lock for the sixth man of the year. It's a cold game out here. 
It's a cold game. It's a redemption arc I am getting behind. And if you don't get behind it, it's because you never liked Russ in the first place. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I have been stunned by this development. As a lifelong basketball fan, I think I'm in love with soccer. I am. Never liked soccer in my life, except for during World Cup time, but I think it has stuck. I think the soccer bug is in my system, and I think it's, I think it's terminal. I do. Because why? It reminds me of hoops. It reminds me of hoops. I've been watching the World Cup, right, like a lot of people. And I'm not going to pretend I'm some kind of soccer guru because I'm not. I like no almost nothing. I don't know. I don't know what words mean. I don't know what player positions are. All I know is what my two basketball-minded eyeballs see, and I love it. And I have loved this knockout stage. There's just something about the passion and the pageantry that has sucked me in. Never mind all the human rights abuses and probably killing a, a journalist for making a statement about, uh, you know, love is love. Who knows? We're going to just put that to, a, to the side for a second. Rest in peace to Grant Wall. In all seriousness, he was an absolute awesome dude. Um, but if you watch hoops carefully, you can understand soccer pretty well as well, right? It's like the NBA. It's like spacing and flow and star players. Star studs, just like the association. One of the more astounding stats in the NBA, and we've talked about this before, is that no team, no team has won a championship without since the late 1970s without a current or former starting all-star on the team. Think about that. That's crazy. If you don't have an all-star who started in an all-star game either, either last year or in previous years, you are cooked. And that's pretty much the same with soccer as well. Without a world-class goal scorer, bucket getter, striker, U.S. men's national team, absolutely cooked. They have talent. But I could tell very quickly, oh boy, this team with Christian Pulisic, they're not the one. He's not the one. He's no cold-blooded killer. He doesn't want no smoke. He doesn't have it like that. He doesn't. Even me, the rube that I am about soccer, could tell, oh, no, we don't have, what's this kid's name, Memphis Depay? 
we don't have a Memphis Depay. I just learned about him, and I was like, he's much better than our best guy. Like, you could just tell that when we lost to Holland, it was very clear. He's very good. He's pretty good. No shade to Christian Pulisic, the darling of U.S. men's soccer. Our standards are much lower than the rest of the world in terms of what we need in order to extend and improve our game. But we don't have a Cristiano Ronaldo. We don't. We don't have a Messi. We do not. We don't have a Harry Kane. Holland striker Memphis Depay is probably my new new favorite player. Like, I loved him. And the U.S. went home, obviously, round of 16 because of that. The jig was up when Pulisic had the opportunity to score five minutes into the game, pretty much one-on-one. And all of a sudden, couldn't get it out. There's no shade. No shade. But it was it was not something that a cold-blooded killer would have done. And the U.S. has never really had a true killer since Landon Donovan, so they say. I don't know a lot about Landon Donovan, but I hear he was a stone-cold killer. And just like the NBA, contender needs a bucket getter, soccer team that wants to move on, Needs a relentless finisher as well. So all of this is a large setup to say. I've been thinking about star players in soccer and the expectations put on them and then the star players in basketball and the expectations put on them, right? So I was thinking about Messi and all the expectations on him. Ronaldo doing a little Googling. Then that led me to the rabbit hole that is LeBron James and all the expectations put on him that he has surpassed time after time. Which got me thinking about Victor Wembanyama. I know, it's a reach. Let me explain. Probably like only a few players in history have had as much expectations as Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Since he burst on the scene as a teenager, people were tabbing him as the next best thing. Just like LeBron, the kid from Akron. 20 years ago this week, as you know, LeBron burst on the scene on the national stage with his first ESPN television game, leading St. Mary's to a win over the number one high school team in the nation. As an aside, which is crazy, think about this. 20 years ago to the day, that was LeBron's first high school game that was televised. And this week as well, the same anniversary, LeBron James's kid played against Carmelo's kid on ESPN in a high school game. It's fucking nuts. That's fucking nuts. Anyway, moving on back to Ronaldo and LeBron. At age 18, they were on every magazine cover with the highest expectations that you could put on any individual in the world, more famous than anyone in sports. They became internationally famous before they could legitimately drink in America. As an aside, LeBron James has like almost a half a billion followers on Instagram. Ronaldo, I think, has like 300 million. Just crazy stuff, right? And they both went out and did the incredible. Despite the insane hype, they didn't just meet them. They didn't just meet the expectations. They exceeded them soundly, right? That's insane. We had expectations that LeBron was going to be the next Michael Jordan, right? The kid from Akron maybe was going to, at 17, enter the draft before high school was even over. That was what he was trying to do when I was in high school. I remember that. He was trying to break the rules and go his senior year. And we're like, oh my God, how good could he be in order to do that? Blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, from year one, it was instantaneously, yes, he's that guy. He is him. You can make the Hall of Fame and still be a disappointment. And he is obviously, he's what, 
37 years old, almost 38, and he has continued, continued to deliver when he should be in an NBA old folks home. He should be getting his NBA AAR peep card, his NBA pension fund right now, and he is continuing to be transcendent. Braun is transcendent. Ronaldo transcendent. So is Messi. So is Neymar. So is Mbappe. Kobe. Jordan. Rare enough to be known by one name, right? Which is what brings me to Victor. We're already calling it brick for Vic, right? Tank for Wambanyama. 18 years old, 7'4", already been called the best NBA prospect in NBA history. Better than Braun. Right now, the hype on Victor Wembanyama is higher than LeBron James. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the time that we're in. Maybe it's the fact that LeBron James delivered on that. But talk about insane expectations. No one in hoops since LeBron James, Ronaldo, and Messi in soccer have had that kind of weight on them. None. Before playing a pro game. Victor Wembanyama is playing pro in France, but you know what I'm talking about. This game, right? Tony per- Parker has seen this up close and personal. Parker was born in Belgium, grew up in France, became an all-star and an NBA champion in San Antonio. He's known Victor since he burst on the scene, right? So he said in a recent interview this. My advice to Victor is to make sure he has his own expectations because it's impossible to please everyone. Everyone's going to think, oh, yeah, you should play like this. Oh, yeah, you should play like Kevin Durant. Just be you, though. Have your own expectations very Yoda very Yoda of Tony Parker don't you agree I do tremendous advice because while I just watched Messi dribble through traffic hit his teammate with an absolute nasty dime to give Argentina a goal against Croatia's Croatia and I asked myself how great does Victor Wabayama have to be in order to exceed those more than LeBron James' expectations. And the answer is I think he has to be the best player of all time. I think he has to be the best player of our generation, at least, of his generation. The hype, I believe, is that big. And you can say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Victor didn't ask for this. Just like Zion. Zion didn't ask for it. He was on the SI cover. He was supposed to be the next LeBron James. He's not saying he's going to be the greatest. He's not. But enough people as a groundswell are saying it. Enough people are filming his pro games in France on ESPN. Who does that? They're only filming his, right? It's already fucking up the way that we see him. Think think pieces are dropping every single week about him. They're following his every move. They're saying he's going to change the game as we know it, transcendent. They call him the unicorn because there's never been anyone like them except for maybe Ralph Sampson, right? Who can live up? Can anyone live up to this hype that Victor Wembanyama is having right now? LeBron did. Ronaldo did. Messi did. So Parker had these final words to say about Victor. I'm just always worried because people are putting him so high. I know he says he's ready and he's ready to take on anything, but people... When they put you up so high like this and compare him to LeBron and Michael Jordan, it's almost unfair. He should have just been hiding in obscurity, just entered the draft. No one knows. I mean, we've seen these seven-footers come out of nowhere before, but it was like someone discovered him, and now he's it. Now he is him, and that is the world that we live in. It's very unfair. Fair or not, he's going to be judged on whether or not he's better than what LeBron James became with the expectations. 
better than Rudy Gobert, better than Kristaps Porzingis. And is he some new variation of the greatest player we've ever seen? He'll never be compared to a guard, but he will be compared to Kevin Durant because he's seven foot tall and he's skinny as hell and he shoots threes. Think about Chet Holmgren, same thing. Whether he ends up the next LeBron or the next Ronaldo remains to be seen. But one thing is for sure, Victor Wambanyama cannot be a bust. That would be a very, very bad thing for the NBA. Nobody wants to be Darko. Nobody wants to be Freddie Adu. And God forbid he's like Greg Oden or Sam Bowie. That would just be a goddamn shame. Charlotte Hornets have slid under the radar, haven't they? When you're a bad team and everyone knows you were going to be bad and then you are bad, it's like your inadequacies, your mediocrity, even worse, like the train wreck that is your team, it just goes completely unnoticed, doesn't it? They have slid under the radar, I think, for too long. No one in the NBA right now is playing worse defense than the Charlotte Hornets. No one. They just, they're giving up like, 117 points per game. 117.7 per game. That is 27th in the NBA. They are 28th in the NBA in rebounds allowed. 24th in the NBA in assists allowed. 24th in the NBA in opponent field goal percentage. I mean, there's not a defensive metric that they do well. If you could find one and and tell me, let me know. They're basically in the bottom quarter in every single category. And this is coming off of a season where their head coach was fired because they finished 27th in the NBA in points given up with, you guessed it, same exact amount, 117.1 points per game. So they actually are worse this year. They fired my man James Borrego, brought in Steve Clifford, and they are statistically worse defensively than they were last year. So I took a lot of flack because I I said that the Charlotte Hornets could be the worst team in sports. Maybe that's not true. Okay, James Dolan exists. No shade to James Dolan. Love James Dolan. Love your work. Love your music. Want to be at MSG. So we're good on that. Uh, You might say that Dan Snyder is worse. Totally fair. You might say that uh, homie from the Suns, Robert Sarver, was worse. Okay, but all we know is that they're in the dregs, all of them. Michael Jordan is in the dregs. But Steve Clifford, new coach Steve Clifford, but actually old coach Steve Clifford because he was a head coach there once before, has had enough of the Charlotte Hornets bullshit. What did he do? He just destroyed them. Just, not just destroyed them on the internet. Not just destroyed them in private. He decided he was going to do a full dress down on video. Yes, he did. Last night is what happened. Charlotte Hornets went to OT against the Pistons. A team with, without Cade Cunningham. And, and let me remind you, he's out for the year now. We should probably mention that because last episode we didn't know and 15 minutes after the episode got recorded, it was announced. I hate to see it. That's just life in the NBA circles, right? And this was LaMelo's return after a month on the aisle. LaMelo ball foul, fouls out with 29.6 seconds remaining in regulation. And the Hornets crater. They lost 141-134 in OT. And Steve Clifford, I tell you what, he was big mad. 
This is what he did in his post-game presser, pretty much blowing up the bridge. Until we care about something besides how many points we score, we're not going to win much. Can't play like that. I mean, we scored. Our offense was good. That's five of the last seven games. We've been pretty good on offense. We are playing no defense, not one guy. There's not a bright spot. Not a bright spot. Not one bright spot on defense. Not one. That is damning, is it not? When when someone says this whole team stinks, and I mean every single player, there is not one good player. Like so, if you reside on this team, you should know you stink. Keep going. Pick and roll stuff, all stuff that was good. I think we were as high as like twelfth or thirteenth in defense about ten games ago. And we're right back to where we started, ground zero. All we want to be is let's try to outscore the other teams. Doesn't work in the end. Pause. In this game, really fast, I'm watching this video. They shot 51 threes. Are you serious? They went 17 for 51 from three. Wow, that's insane. Keep going. NBA, unless you're, well, actually, it never works, okay? So what I just told them, this is either... You build a game that will actually work at the end of the year when you play the important games or you don't. That's it. That's what the NBA is all about, okay? It's not that we don't have the talent to do it. All we care about is scoring. That's it. And if you're going to try to play like that, you better have like five all-stars. We don't have that kind of talent. So it's not something that will work. Did he just say you better have five all-stars? Was that a ricochet shot at the Warriors? Warriors play some defense now, normally, not this year. Work. We're either going to decide to get back to playing with a defensive effort. It's not, it's not that we're not trying to win. It's we go about it all wrong, okay? I mean, watch team after team, right? There's always a team every year that they get there, and what happens? They get drilled because they don't have a game. They don't have the right kind of game. You can't just outscore people in the NBA. You can't. You can't, and you can't decide that you're not going to do the things that take effort, like rebounding or getting loose balls or putting your body in front of the ball. You can't. It just doesn't work that way, and that's what we're trying to do right now. All right? That was a two-minute dress down. The question, though, that I have is, like, where has Steve Clifford been? You know? Like, where was he last year? Where did it? What was he doing when the Charlotte Hornets gave up 117.1 points per game? What did he think was going to happen? Did he think when he, was gonna, when he took the job, like, yeah, I'm going to turn Kelly Oubre into Dennis Rodman. What? Like, Lem- who, who told him it was going to be any different? This is, this is how they are. This is their entire M.O., we put up buckets. We shoot 51 threes per game. We don't get back on defense. We yell at the ref. LaMelo is legit the only player that has any interest in playing defense at all. LaMelo says, oh, yeah, we got to lock in on defense and figure that out. As soon as we do, we will turn this thing around. LaMelo Ball, defensive rating, I'm pretty sure is not commensurate with his desire to play defense. 114.3 defensive rating for LaMelo Ball. So, I want to be a supermodel. But you know what? I'm 5'5". So, it's just not happening for your girl. And that's what's happening for the Charlotte Hornets. You don't have the personnel to play defense. You have what we call chuckleheads on your roster, and many of them. 
and you don't have a ton of length and athleticism to make up for it on the back end. I mean, this is like, this is what we've been saying about Charlotte for three three years. I don't even know why Steve Clifford is ranting about this. This is something we just kind of all know. The Hornets now, 7-21, and 21, worse than the Pistons, meaning currently the Charlotte Hornets have the worst record in the NBA. And the Charlotte Observer noted that the main reason that they are this bad is this, staying in front of the guy with the ball. <laughs> One of the most basic defensive principles seems foreign to Charlotte. Running back on defense to prevent the easy layup, another concept seemingly hasn't been introduced. Folks, this is crazy. This is so insane. Like, absolutely bonkers stuff that we have to talk about this. The issue... There's no way to fix this. Like, how do you get a guy or a team to buy into defense and just all of a sudden start strapping players? Like, how do you get Terry Rozier to stop being like, yeah, I'm going to cook? How do you stop Kelly Oubre from being like, yeah, I cook. I'm a chucker. What? I'm going to play defense. Portland's probably the best example, and let's be honest, they're not like some juggernaut. For many years, the Portland Trailblazers were 30th in defensive rating. They had to blow up their fucking roster to do it, too. They had to get new guys. Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, Gary Payton II. He's not back yet, but he will be there. Nasir Little had to get more time. You had to move C.J. McCollum that was an absolute sieve on defense. You had to figure out a way to get guys to protect Dame Lillard, who's an absolute sieve on defense. No shade to Dame Lillard. Love you, Dame Lillard. That's pretty much Charlotte's future, is it not? Blow it all up. Get rid of everyone. Get rid of everyone but LaMelo Ball and protect him with guys who are wings who can defend. Figure it out. You're a team that's going to be in the lottery. I don't know. Maybe they'll get Victor Wambanyama, which would be a goddamn shame. Clifford ended his presser by saying, all we want to be is let's outscore the other team. That doesn't work in the NBA. Never works. A more true, true statement never been said. He might have explained why he's going to be out of a job sooner than later, because if you're allowing, what, like 11 uncontested layups per game to be made, I think that's what it is. I mean, you, sir, are not doing the very basics of your job. Paul Silas, an absolute bucket Hall of Famer, father of Rockets coach Stephen Silas, has passed away. He's passed away this week, the age of 79. Well, too young. Uh, there's been a bunch of great retrospectives out there, think pieces, Google them, because Silas was an absolute bucket as a player, definitely deserving of the Hall of Fame. But for me, the thing that's the most interesting about Mr. Silas is uh, he was a cold-ass motherfucker. He was stone cold. He took shit for from absolutely nobody, no one, and I could not love it more I love old people that don't take shit like I love them like hard rock old folks that's like yo I will I will beat the shit out of you if you wreck on me that's him there are endless anecdotes about Silas's warm nature but underneath him stone cold killer 
Maurice Lucas said the first time he played against Silas as a player, he's like, yeah, I line up beside Silas at the start of the game. He barely speaks to me. The ref tosses the ball up, and Silas elbows me in the face, knocks me out. That established how I would eventually play. That's like hockey out there. The demeanor also carries over to the coaching career, which I think is amazing. According to reports, Silas once once benched Eric Snow when he didn't come off the court fast enough, which is an amazing reason to bench a player. And then he banishes him to the locker room. Here's another good one. While coaching the Cavs, Silas gets into it with forward Ira Newby. A former Hawk, he wanted to play against his old team in Atlanta, but did not see the court at all. Paul Paul Silas was like, absolutely not. So Newbie comes after Silas, right? And the altercation ends with Silas chasing Newbie down the hall while screaming at Newbie that he was a hip-hop motherfucker. Finally, the best one. Talking about Charlotte. He was coaching Charlotte in 2012. So he gets into it with... Bobcats player, they're the Bobcats at the time, Ty Thomas, pins this dude up against a locker. Why? What did he do that was so egregious, you might ask? He was too friendly to the opposing team after a loss. Did I mention Silas was 68 at the time? Do you know how cold and mean and ruthless you have to be? To pin a young man up that you are coaching up against a locker at 68 years old for something just kind of normal about the NBA? Insane. Another time while coaching in Charlotte, seven foot center Desagana Diop dropped the N word in practice. Silas immediately stopped practice. And remember, Diop is from West Senegal, or Senegal in West Africa, excuse me. So English was like his second language. And he says, I used the N-word when I was at school at Oak Oak Hill Academy, but I didn't really know the meaning behind it. And Coach Silas went on to tell me the history, the ugliness of the word, and how it affected him while growing up. Big shout-out to Paul Silas. What what an interesting collection of anecdotes. And what I loved about all the anecdotes, Newbie, Thomas, Diop, they all loved him. They weren't wrecking his name when they told these stories. They were friendly with him. They were tight with him. They said he's, Newbie said he's one of the, the coaches I treasure and I appreciate playing for the most. The guy who called him the hip-hop motherfucker and chased him down the hall. That's like one of his favorite coaches. Like, imagine being chased by an irate coach. And it's like, yeah, that's the best coach I've ever played for. He must have been awesome in other ways. His legacy lives on. Following the Rockets' recent victory over the Suns, Monty Williams embraced Steven Silas, which, by the way, you had to know that the Rockets were going to win that game. He had just come back from a one-game bereavement leave, and on the verge of breaking down, Monty held his embrace, and Silas just melted into his arms. Nothing would have made Paul Silas more proud of Monty and Steven than that. So RIP to an NBA legend. That is all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Monday night, so Tuesday morning with an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes and past mini-episodes for pretty much dropping every day. Follow the Heat Check. We are full swing right now. The NBA is hot, hot, hot. Do not forget to download. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends, every single one of them, every single NBA fan. The NFL season is coming to a close. 
So it is time for you to get up on the NBA. And follow us at social at at this heat check and at Trista Crick on TikTok. We'll talk to you soon. Knuckleheads.